Welcome to episode 37 by Fika with Rice. Today we're with the amazing Matt Charney, one of America's top experts in talent and technology. Matt is a pro at all things talent acquisition and tech. When you're searching for the right rock stars to be on your team, he knows the ins and outs of navigating your search and making the most of the tech that's in your head. Not only that, but Matt is also a well-respected thought leader in the space of marketing and content creation and author across many publications. He's passionate about sharing his expertise in the industry. Today, he shares his knowledge and passion with us, as well as what brought him to the industry he's now in. This is his story. Let's go. Matt, welcome to Fika with Bryce. You're an HR expert, talent acquisition practice leader at HR.com, and I'm so excited to have you on the show. I um, I wanted to start this episode with some rapid fire questions. It, it has become a tradition in Fika with Bryce, and our guests and audience love it. It goes like this: I'll make a statement, and then you'll finish the sentence. Does that make sense? That uh, makes perfect sense. Let's do it. Very nice. If I was 20 years old today, I would do more focus on fun, less focus on classwork. The most common mistake first time interns make trying to do the job responsibilities as opposed to trying to learn the company. Well, that do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So I did a lot of internships when I was in college and, and there were good ones too. Like I, I interned at Comedy Central, I interned at Paramount, I interned at like all the entertainment companies. And the thing I really regret is they give me, you know, little assignments like make copies or write coverage for the script. And I was in a position where I was surrounded by development executives and people who could definitely help my career. And there I was making copies as opposed to like taking that time to actually like advance myself as opposed to just doing menial work. If you could go back to that time, because those are amazing like opportunities as an intern, what would you have done differently? Knowing what you know today. Yeah. So knowing what I know, <laughs> I mean, that's a long story, um, but I think that knowing what I know today, I would have been much more aggressive in fighting a mentor or champion at these individual companies and really having person to advocate for me. I also think that I would have taken the jobs a little bit more seriously. Um, at the time, unpaid internships were essentially legal here. So if, like, I'm not getting paid. I'll call in. It's a Monday morning. I'm not feeling it. So I probably would have taken them a little bit more seriously. Yeah. So a lot of universities, a lot of career experts, so to speak, they all like recommend that you should be finding a mentor at your internship or somebody that you could look up to. What's your best advice to someone to, I know we're sidetracking here a bit, but what's your best advice to someone who who might be introverted or, I mean, it's your first internship. You're going to be nervous. You're going to be anxious. Like, how do you go about finding that mentor and then identifying that one? Well, so I think that one of the commonalities that I find certainly as a recruiter is that people every level really like talking about themselves. They really like talking about their job. And I also think largely have an altruistic beat because they want to help people. And so for me, if you're intellectually curious and you just kind of ask questions and make it as informal as, hey, like, what do you do here? And start showing interest. They're going to show interest in you and reciprocate. So rather than just kind of take your little corner of an org chart and here's the three people here you're gonna have to interact with i would say really expand those opportunities and take it like business school there's a really kind of a famous story so um brian grazer who is one of the top producers in hollywood now he's ron howard's producing partner he was an intern i believe uh i want to say silver pictures or universal one of those two entities and he spent his internship literally just talking to everyone he could find on the lot doing structured interviews about how they got into their position 
And as a result, people are like, wow, this kid's like really, really inquisitive and really watchful in this business. And, you know, he's probably won 10 Academy Awards at this point in time. So I don't think anyone holds it against you if you have an intellectual willingness to learn and you're showing true passion for the business, because no matter what that business is, people will get kind of bored with it if they're there for a long time. So I think that somebody coming in really passionate and really eager to kind of pick up things is going to stand out immediately. And that's not an introvert and extrovert thing. That's just a, do I want to take as much advantage of this experience as I can? I love that advice. I love that so much. The best advice I received during my first internship was? Don't touch Steven Spielberg's golf course. I mean, that was the advice the one time I tried and I got into big trouble. But no, I, I oh, really think the best. Uh, well, that was that was very long time. I think the best advice that I got from my internship was probably um, from uh, a guy named Steve Carell, and he ended up writing Bruce Almighty and some other big Hollywood movies. And I wanted to be a writer, like a screenwriter at the time. And he said to me, "If you want to go the creative route, do not stay here working in the office and the business route. You'll be seen as the enemy." I should have probably heeded that advice a little bit better and, and stuck to the creative. I ended up going the business route, long story short, that kind of ruined any chance I had at creative, but I, I probably should have. The biggest misconception about being an intern is? The interns need the company more than the companies need the interns because often they're seen as kind of menial and, and gophers, that sort of thing. But at a lot of companies, you are inherently a high performer if you're able to work your way into an internship is generally how those work. And I think that given the paucity of available skilled talent, also with ages of workers, you would definitely want to build as much brand loyalty and employer brand loyalty, I think, as possible. So seeing them as potential new hires as opposed to temporary gopher is probably probably a shift that should be made. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think a lot of interns, they play from this underdog or this like inferior, this low level, like attitude whereas you know what if you're an intern you're a team member you're part of the team so like just take this up as an opportunity to show what what you got you know yeah and i and i don't think you're inherently a part of the team when you come in at least like the dynamic is you're again it's like a temp worker you're seeing as you're going to come in you're going to kind of leave but i think it's absolutely an opportunity and incumbent on you to make yourself part of the team and it's something that's really easy to i wish that you would have graduated college oh that's a good question there is no plan that you can make that's actually going to fulfill itself. So in order to have a meaningful and interesting career, any plans you have throw out the window and ride the wave and see what happens and be a little bit more existentialist. The tighter you hew to a plan, the less likely you are to succeed at it or really anything else. How did you get into your role as you have today? Because it's super interesting, Matt. I mean, from what I'm hearing, you were in the entertainment industry for a while. Now you're into HR as a and recruitment as a talent acquisition practice leader. What do you actually do? Oh, what do I actually do? So um, that's so, uh, you know, it, uh, I can start off and give you the really quick story about how I kind of made this transition. So my very first job, I was, I was actually at Comedy Central at the time, and I applied for a job as a talent scout on Craigslist. That shows you how old I am. And so I went and I'm like, this is kind of weird that I'm having an interview for a talent scout and it's weird office and foreign. But they end up telling me like, oh, that means a recruiter. Well, that was the first time I'd heard of that. And your job is selling jobs to people. And I'm like, okay, cool. Everyone I know needs a job. So uh, that seems pretty easy. So 
I started just doing that because it was an eight hour gig as opposed to if I would have like worked at William Morris mailroom at the time, then that would have been 15 to 18 hours a day and I wouldn't have had time for any side endeavors. So I started doing that and I ultimately kind of combined the two worlds and became uh, a recruiter at Warner Brothers. Um, and I was 23, 24 years old, had a corner office, two with the golf cart. I was running the corporate talent acquisition function at Warner Brothers. In order to keep that job, the Writers Guild was on strike at the time. And so I had to be a scab to go to my to my job. And of course, you know, when you're young, you don't think, oh, I might have long-term repercussions for this. But, you know, long story short, I got blacklisted out of the Writers Guild union for being a scab because I went to my corporate job at Warner Brothers. Kind of focused me into uh, recruiting a little bit. From there, straight to Disney. And then the recession happened and, and things kind of fell apart. So, you know, I, I was looking for another recruiting job. I wrote an article for ERE called How Recruiters Read Resumes. And I think that was like the closest to viral you could have gotten in what was it, 2010, maybe. Um, the article just kind of went everywhere. And I woke up the next morning. It was a got a call from monster.com saying, can you come to Boston? We were interested in talking to you about like a communications role. And so then from there, uh, really, I've spent my career uh, doing two things. One's what we call influencer relations. So getting to talk to, you know, the important people in the industry, uh, big name practitioners, get their stories and then translate that to content, which is something as a screenwriter, fairly easy for me to do. And, and then, you know, secondarily, when I was in college and, and coming up, I've always been really attracted to the tech side of things, but a little bit of a geek in that way. So I didn't realize that uh, HR technology was such a huge vertical, and it's one that's actually fairly simple. If you follow tech, like, you know, it's, it's about three years behind the curve. So my career has been spent tracking, um, on the one hand, best practices, on the one hand, emerging technologies, and, and kind of putting those together. So my role in, at HR.com, very similar sort of to my role when I started recruiting daily, which, you know, is, I was the executive editor there for quite some time. And that is really just creating um, content and conversation, and, and I get community around topics and issues that really matter, both in talent acquisition, the world of work, but also sort of making that easy for mass consumption. So like a lot of things in our industry are very niche or very like compliant focused. I would like to see how or is this more broadly related to bigger economic trends, consumer marketing, things of that nature, and really just kind of synthesizing those disciplines. So my job is to take what's going on in the world of HR and recruiting, distill that as simply as possible, and be able to deliver value in conversation to basically our members and anyone online who cares about recruiting. So I report on the industry, I guess, for lack of a better word. Our audience is really young, and a lot of them, what they're hearing from you, which is an amazing story, like you're really into the entertainment industry, writing and then you got into recruitment and then you basically changed which for me is the word industry uh, working at hr.com right now you got this call from monster uh, as well but a lot of young people that i talk to they say already i'm studying marketing i'm only looking for like marketing jobs oh i'm only studying finance i'm only studying private equity i need to get like private equity internships only because i'm going to work within private equity what would you tell them before they graduate well first off just thinking as a recruiter or hiring manager if all experience that somebody has even coming out of college is really really focused and verticalized that can be good 
private equity actually might be the outlier that says, yeah, this person, this is what they want to do is make money at the massive scale, right? But a lot of the time, I think what people are really interested in is dimensionality. So people have had a range of different experiences because what we're doing largely now, this has been the case for a little while, but you're really seeing it come to fruition is this move to skills-based hiring as opposed to experience-based hiring. And, and one of the top sort of things that companies are looking for is what's called learning agility, which is essentially the ability to synthesize a bunch of different information, different situations and learn on the fly, right? That's learning agility. I would say that the ability to have worked in different industries, been exposed to different things, that actually is probably going to help you more than doubling down. Like I did in just doing the same internship at different studios, you know? So I think the more exposure you can get is great. The other thing too, I, again, I would say is marketing being a better example than PE probably. Marketing is a function. Accounting is a function. HR is a function. Focus on those. That's great. But make sure you get a breadth of industry experience as well because the difference in how those jobs is performed is night and day at a computer, uh, a consumer packaged goods company, let's say, versus a biotech company versus more a fat company. I agree. Yeah. I think a lot of universities, what they're trying to like teach and give what type of information they're trying to give to students right now is, like, oh, you want to go into marketing, do as many marketing internships as you can. I'm a big believer in what you were saying with that. Try to get as much diversified, solid foundation. And even if you want to go into marketing, I mean, you get some business development experience, some HR experience, that's just going to make you much more, in my opinion, much more broad, you know, because you're so young anyway, you're going to have a long career, right? Yeah. And you're going to switch jobs as your average every two to three years. So understand that the more experience you pick up, the more wide your net is in order to get those jobs and the better your network too, which is really kind of what it's all about, right? It's true. That's a great thing. A lot of universities, a lot of people, like they say to young people and young students, like, Hey, you need to network, Matt. You need to network when you are at the, or these internships and when you are at these companies, how do you go about doing that as like, let's say this is your first internship, Matt, like how do you network literally? Well, yes. Well. How do I network literally? So, uh, you know, for me, it's it's never about business because, well, like, you know, I, if I'm focused on impressing people with the internship, that's one thing. So you have like, can I make a meeting with you, sit down in your office, ask questions, that, that's one dynamic. The other dynamic is just having casual conversations with the hall and really getting to know people. The more you can get to know people on a personal level, I think the, the stronger chances you are that it's going to be a reciprocal network. So one, you have to make sure that you appreciate their style as a person. Two, you have to not only get to know what they do at work, but what interests them, what drives them. My favorite question asked in interview, and it's one that I think is golden for network as well, is like, what's the most interesting thing about you that's like not on your resume or LinkedIn profile? And people actually struggle a lot with that question because they're so used to talking about it. But once you kind of get that, you start building a different dynamic. And I think the less transactionally focused you can make, every interaction is great and really get to know something about that person. But more importantly, don't lose touch with people because there are people, for example, one of the people who I happened to intern with when I was a junior in college, we just, you know, reconnected 15 years later. He's the CEO of a $4 billion company. And it just so happened we had a good working relationship and, you know, kept in touch via social media, which is incredibly easy to do. So I think in addition to networking within the company, and obviously you want to try to target as high level as possible, the people who you do intern with 
And the people who are like at the lowest levels of the company are the people who are ultimately going to help your career the most. And I almost would say focus on building those relationships above the hierarchical ones. That's a really great advice because I mean, a lot of young people, like they go into the internships and they're like, okay, let me try to get to, I don't know, the director of marketing. Let me get to like the CEO, the CFO, because these are like the big guys or the big girls, you know, and I should be talking to them. So focusing on rather like your fellow interns or your fellow, like same level people, because in the end of the day, they're going to be running the show one day. Absolutely. And also, yeah, and they're a really good support network as well, because they're probably going to be about the same stage and have the same struggles and you know obviously the relationship i definitely think you should build because the diffusion of people throughout an industry or throughout functions from a beginning if i look for example at the people who were at monster.com's marketing department 10 years ago these are all people who are running large marketing functions at global staff companies now so i'm really glad that i had the chance to work with them but, you know, I wasn't trying to spend most of my time sucking up to the CEO and trying to get to know my coworkers. And I think that, that that's really important to understand that you're going to get most of your jobs, the people you know, and the people who are going to be the most likely to help you are going to be people that you've come up with, not people who are doing anything. Matt, I want to throw you um, a curveball. So let's say I completed my summer internship now, uh, which a lot of people have. Going back to campus, it's the fall right now. How do I go about keeping in touch with my colleagues without it sounding or looking awkward? Social media is great for that, right? Whatever network you happen to be connected on, I'm sure that that's there. I always recall having, you know, both email groups and then a little bit later, like Facebook groups that were just continuing to be live with people staying in touch. For me, I think that's a big thing. And the other is, I would say, planning like very strategic reach outs, like every three months, let's say, just ping that person and be like, hey, just wanted to see how your year's going. Is there anything that I can do to help? Like they might not respond, but it's not awkward. If you work it into a cycle and you don't have an ulterior motive other than saying, hey, I'm thinking about you, what's going on? And that's the way to stay top of mind. The worst thing you can do, obviously, is wait until you need something. And then you haven't talked to that person in a while and then start giving ask. That never goes anywhere. So in order to build up that goodwill, all you have to do is stay present and top of mind. And that's as easy as even sending a LinkedIn message like, hey, congratulations on the whatever. Okay. As an intern or as a yellow person, you're probably like list of people that got to know at your internship is, I mean, let's say roughly five to 10 people, but this list might grow, right? Let's say, yeah. like, let's say somebody in your position, like, how do you keep track of the people that you've been in touch with and that you got to know? Like, do you have a secret, like, Excel sheet? Or, I, I mean, I know we all have LinkedIn, <laughs> Facebook, and Instagram, and so on, and we have email, but do you have, like, a sort of like a target list or whatever that you say, okay, every three months I'm reaching out to these people? I do. Um, I put together advisory boards now uh, as a big part of my job, uh, and they help us with our research as well as some of like voice industry stuff. So within them, I'm definitely segmented and targeting people who I've worked with throughout my career, who I think are like very strong. Um, and those are very easy to put together because it's like, hey, you know, trust me, it's going to be worth your time to put together a chill conversation. Other than that, though, all I've needed to do of late is keep up with people. Again, mainly Twitter, often LinkedIn. When they reach out, I get to take more passive roles. But I am constantly trying to build new relationships with people who I think are interesting. 
which is to say, I don't care about anything other than do they look at things a different way? And do I think that they have the propensity to, you know, really succeed and go places and are, are they hungry? And so I often will be much more intentional about building relationships with people who are below me than above me, because just to me, I'm not only going to be able to help the most, but I know that they're getting likely the least help. And, and for me, it's really important. I wouldn't say to give back, but to be able to understand fundamentally how they can help advance their career and then how I can stay current with what the kids today are doing, I say, in my mid-30s. But, you know, things change quickly. It's super strategic and super smart, Matt. It's super smart. I've always resonated the same and I'm like, am I weird? Because it makes so much sense to help like people actually need help rather than people above you, you know? I, I guess the majority want to focus on those above you. Like, hey, I need to get to, to those people because they are already high up. I would say it's a couple of things too you need to bear in mind. One is always have an ask in mind or a goal. So like I say, like check in somebody, see what they want. But at the same time, like, are you going to be looking to this person for a job? Are you looking to them for a reference? Are you going to be trying to recruit them? Like what ultimately are you trying to get to? I think it's, it's a really important factor to consider. And then two is that you need to make it known what you want. Because recruiter, I get up a bunch, I would say a dozen times a week. Hey, do you know somebody from this job? And it's always like the most recent person that I've talked to who fits that profile and send over, right? But a lot of times I only know that that person is on the market because they'll ping me and be like, tell me if you've heard of anything. And so I would encourage people to, uh, in addition to giving, uh, also know what they're asking for and don't be afraid to, to ask for advice on how to get there, certainly. But, it, but that's the two-way dynamic. Like networking has no point if your goals are unknown and you're just somebody who's showing up. I would say though, on the flip side, and this is the one thing I've discovered about networking, anyone who goes to network intentionally is already failing. Like it's not something that you necessarily can plan on. It's something you can get better at it and improve. But what you need to do is instead of approaching the networking approach, it's an opportunity to get to know them, to get to know their story. And I've been to now hundreds of networking events over the course of my career. And the one thing I can tell can distinguish the people who are good at it from people who are bad at it. People who are bad at it go straight to business. People who are good at it never talk to them. I agree with you 100%. I've been going to so many networking events and I feel uncomfortable when somebody comes like, hey, what do you do? Like, oh, and they move on if, if it's not interesting. And when I go to a networking event, I'm like, I'm going there with the intention of getting to know some people, talk about football, whatever, like, like, because that's how you connect with people, you know? And then I mean, you'll see if there's any business down the line, but in the end of the day, it's all about relationships, you know? Well, 100%. And, and that's the thing that always tracks me. I'm sure you've seen that people go up, they look at people's name tag. They're like, is that company one I've heard and I want to like have anything to do with? And then. Then they'll start on them, right? And I, I think that companies and titles are a very poor uh, predictor of who is going to be able to ultimately help you in your career. And actually, the more impressive that it is, the less likely they are because of the demand. Yeah, I would say judge a person on uh, their passion for football, not necessarily because they happen to be junior engineer. Yeah. Matt, I want to talk a little bit about remote work and remote internships. Um, what are some uncommon ways students can stand out when they are interning remotely? Um, that's a really good question. 
I think that uh, it's it's becoming increasingly a fetch, and I hate this term, but for people to start to build a personal brand. So, okay. um, you know, I, I would think that just looking at things from like a marketing perspective, you're going to stand out as an intern if you have a significant social media presence. In my case, if you're producing content that's related to like Epic or, or just something that you can push out there that supplements them just thinking about you and, and the tight rigors of a program. Uh, but I also think that um, the other thing that you can do, and this is true in person and this is true probably more virtually, is to be proactive and asking to help people. So it, it, I think if people who are working remotely have an inclination to be passive when it comes to, to, to work assignments, so like, you know, I'll show up to this meeting, I'll get my thing, I'll get the deliverables in, but, but being much more proactive in how can I help you? What are you working on? Or even just, you know, hey, I saw that you were uh, this title, I'm interested in it. Um, do you have 10 minutes where I could just, you know, say hi and put a face to the name? I think all of those proactive steps are, are, are a great way to stand out because a lot of the time I think people will get lost just turning in a fine work and you know, pop it on occasionally. Yeah, it's true. I, I love that advice at 10 minutes, like, hey, can I talk to you just 10 minutes, just get a, a face on the name, so to speak, because that's a great way to network. Well, network, get to know that person, you know, uh, once you leave your internship, so. Yeah, and nobody will say no, I think is the important thing. Yeah, I think a lot of young people, a lot of students, they're afraid of people saying no, you know, they're afraid of rejection. I mean, the odds are you're going to get rejected quite a lot um, in that move to your first career position. So I, I would say that the fear of rejection should never uh, stand in your way because it's going to happen more than actual success. Um, so the key is to engineer least amount of failure, not avoid it entirely, right? Yes. What is uh, man? What type of skills do you see students gaining when they're doing remote internships versus in person? Yeah, so I think that as the world of work moves to a much more, uh, I, I don't want to say fully virtual, but hybrid model, uh, I think that while people obviously have this direct experience with school, being able to understand the dynamic of of how remote work work works is is a great opportunity because if you go into an office you can certainly suss out um power structures both formal and informal company culture is much stronger you get a lot more exposure to uh people just by virtue of facetime and informal collisions so i think if you look back at, at, at sort of developing skills virtually it's how do i more proactively find these things and how do i maneuver a work environment when I'm not physically present, the ability to do that are something that even most senior coworkers haven't developed. So being able to really have a handle on how to show up and how to build relationships in the absence of being in person is really, really important. So I think that the number one skill again that I would point to is being intentional about carving out time, whether that's a standing meeting or one supporter and get those get that one-on-one -on -one time any way you can and that's going to be uh largely through things like zoom but making the effort is going to make the difference i think you've talked about company culture hybrid work 
obviously that's going to be the reality for most recent graduates now in the future and, and current students for companies that prevents like that's new challenges. Like how do you maintain like an awesome, like vibrant, amazing company culture when you have team members working remotely and then you have some people in the office. I mean, just one thing, how do you do about birthday celebrations and so on? But I wanted to ask you, Matt, you're the expert. How, how can one, like as a company, myself running like a company, absolute internship, we have, we have a hybrid model. People work remotely in person. Some people come in sometimes. What's your best advice? And have you seen, seen any amazing, successful example of maintaining a, a great company culture with a hybrid work? You know, I think that I look at companies like uh, Deloitte and Microsoft, and, and I think that when I look at companies that are doing it right, they actually all started this journey before it became ineffective, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, uh, for example, you know, Microsoft was having big hiring struggles, and you know, a year before COVID, they instituted a results-only working environment. You can come to the office, you go in the office, whatever. Um, Deloitte has uh, had a similar, like, four-day work week um, and, and hybridized model that they offer to their employees. But that's been late pre-pandemic. So I think that companies that inherently have that uh, trust in workers' autonomy and flexibility built into their culture, that is not pandemic-driven. That's kind of always been uh, one of the things. But the other thing that I think when you look at it, companies needing to rethink culture is that for a really long time, everything that was culturally related put a uh, giant premium on physical space. So if you go to any career site, like we had aerators and we have slides in our cafeteria and we have a, a grand piano in our in our cafeteria where a guy plays in a tuxedo every day, which is true for Oracle, by the way. And I think that what we're seeing now largely is that we've known this for a long time. Corporate culture is both subjective and exists only in the relationships between individual people, right? You can't really impose uh, a culture. It has to exist and it has to exist organically. So for Moodle, these Moodle workers, the economy to do their jobs from any environment is a huge first step in building a, a strong culture because trust and employee engagement are, are absolutely correlated. Uh, but I think that more importantly, we need to be able to provide as many different opportunities for people to interact as possible, whether that's through formal projects, ERGs, which are employee resource groups, project-based teams. I think the best practice is really to give people as much exposure to the organization as possible, even if they can't be directly exposed to. I think employee engagement is definitely really important, you know, especially so you're not like you're working across the broad different teams, so actually meeting with people. I think that's really important. Really good point when you said like company culture is actually the relationships between each team member. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's true. That, that's yeah. what you take away when they say people don't leave companies, they leave managers. For you and that. It's true. Right? It's not, yeah. oh, the company culture spot, my manager spot. Yeah, it is true. It's one of the, the early things I learned, you know. You said something really interesting before. I want to go back to that. You were saying like as a remote intern, one of the like great ways to stand out is like having a lot of followers, creating content on social media. Let's say that's LinkedIn. But like for a 19 or 20 year old, the average one might not really know what type of content to put out. What would you suggest? Let's say there's like, Matt, I'm thinking about creating content. What should I be writing about? I'm starting my remote internship next week. I think that 
there are no rules for content. I think that interns almost just given demographics, probably inherently know better what's going to work online than let's say somebody with a lot of experience. Like look at LinkedIn, 99% of what people post is just ridiculous. But I think that like if, if you are authentic and sincere, you get a lot of personality in there. It doesn't matter so much as what you write about. For me, I think really the goal of content is to create like almost like a scalable one-on-one relationship where people think that they know you even though they don't. So, you, so it's much more voice coding style so context than, than actual content itself. But I think that what's most important is that you write about your own perceptions and experiences. You post about it because people care about what you've done experientially and how you perceive that. Everyone can read a five best ways to do this, but coming from an intern, uh, it's probably going to be a little bit, carry a little bit less weight just given the last experience. But also at the same time, people, you know, marketing, we'll go back to that example, really want to know like what's going on with this generation. Like you're an expert in that, right? Because those are your friends. Those are the people you hang out with. So be able to bring that to the table, be able to bring a fresh perspective. And I would say also be a little bit challenging to conventions and norms. People want largely, and I will say this is the unilateral, but people are looking for people who are going to bring innovation and challenge norms. So the more that you formula, follow things by formula or, or the more that you just kind of do what you think is expected of you, I think the less it's going to help you out because it's not going to help you stand out. Matt, amazing advice. It's been a very, very productive chat. I've learned a lot, Matt. I'm sure our audience as well. Where can people find find your line to learn more about you? Uh, yeah, so um, I, I think to Twitter, so at Matt Charney is, is a good one. And then uh, obviously uh, I'd encourage everyone to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, also join HR.com. If you have any interest in learning how hiring works, I, I think actually no matter what industry you're in, if you pay attention to the little cottage industry of recruiters talking online, you'll get a much better sense for how the process works and how you can best use it to your advantage. So I encourage everyone to check out our work at HR.com as well. Very good. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show, Matt. Thank, Thank you, so, you much. so much. A lot of gratitude for listening to Fika with Bryce. I really mean that. If you like the show, I would love if you can leave us a five-star review, whatever you're listening to your podcast. It helps us so much to get the word out there to other listeners. If you have any questions or any feedback, I would love to hear from you. I'm just a DM away on Instagram or TikTok at Freddy Van Hyun. So looking forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you so much.